welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including Satan's favorite coffee mug, a cursed tire with googly eyes who kills, a stone well that's filled with souls, and a demon who used to be a really good writer before he got writer's block. I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. I am making eyes with that writer's block having monster over there. Roxy, a quick announcement. We have joined a podcast network. Yay! Scary Basement. It's now on Super NPC Radio. That means if you go to patreon.com slash super NPC radio, you get more Scary Basement, including an extra episode every month where we cover a horror video game. We call this series Press X to scream. You'll also get access to tons of other bits of content that Mikey and I will pop up on from time to time, including currently the Super Mario 64 Games Club that they're doing and the weekly Super NPC podcast. Plus, signing up for the Patreon will get you into all of the other content that Super NPC has been putting out for years and years and years now. So make sure you go check it out. Patreon.com slash Super NPC Radio. Okay, all of that said, let's start out, Mikey, as we always do with the scariest thing that we saw this week. What went down in your life outside the scary basement that spooked you to your bones? Roxy, I saw a movie this week called The Whale. Oh my god. Or, as I like to call it, There But For The Grace Of God Go I, The Movie. (laughs) Truly terrifying. Listen, Brendan Fraser gives an all-time incredible performance. Like, by far the best part of this or any movie. He's so good. He's so sad. It's so, like, moving. And it's also the worst movie I've ever seen. It's just, like, everything around him and the story that is supporting him are horrifyingly bad. But Oh, God. I don't even know the premise of this movie. I just know he's, that he's a, in he, it. Brendan Fraser plays a big fat man. Okay. He's the titular whale. Okay. And but already uh, that's a little offensive to do that, but okay. It, it, it's a Darren Aronofsky movie. It's, a, it's clearly about mm, addiction in the uh-huh. same way that Requiem for a Dream is about addiction. But yeah, seeing the way Brendan Fraser eats in that movie as a uh, an emotional coping mechanism, I was like, "Hey, man, uh, game recognized game." <laughs> it was very, oh, no. it was truly upsetting to see the way he eats pizza. Uh, not as he, I don't eat pizza as horrifyingly as Brendan Fraser eats pizza in that movie. But I do eat a lot of pizza, and it is bad, and it is an emotional coping mechanism, and I was deeply uncomfortable watching it. Oh, no. It was tough. Roxy, what was the scariest thing that happened to you this week? (laughs) Scariest thing that happened to me this week was traveling with a dog. And not just normal traveling, but traveling on a plane. Mm -hmm. With my brother's dog, particularly. His dog is actually a very chill dog. She's small. She's like a uh, Boston Terrier. Mm -hmm. Relatively well-behaved, but also a little little strange. She's a strange dog, but she's a very good dog. (laughs) and the reason why it's like the scariest or like bad thing that happened to me this week is i just feel so bad for like pets that have to travel in the weird human Mm. constructions we've made like having to watch my brother and his girlfriend and me also it took three people to put this little dog into her little carrier when it was time to put her in it so she could go on the plane and then sit under a seat with people, like, stomping around and the sound of the engine reverberating around her for, oh, like, sure. you know, four hours. I just can't even imagine. Like, animals can hear so much better than we can, and it's already, like, very loud being in a plane as a human. So, I can't even what imagine. About, like, 
a big dog that gets thrown in like the cargo area. Yeah, it doesn't even see people. It's got to be the scariest thing in the world to be like, what am I doing in here? Where'd everybody go? Why am I being punished? Why is it so cold? And they can hear so good, they can probably hear us talking up in the cabin. And if they they're psychic, our secrets. then they can hear all of your secrets, truly. <laughs> Read your mind. Disquieting. Speaking of disquieting, lurking over from out of the shadows, here comes the demon bot. Mikey and Roxy, for this week you were assigned the 1992 film Bram Stoker's Dracula. Did you watch the film, or are your souls forfeit? I did watch Bram Stoker's Dracula. Did you, Roxy? Yes, Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. Good. Then you may keep your souls for now. He just burst through the wall. <laughs> He's doing his Kool-Aid man thing again. <laughs> He's so strong. I think he just really liked it the last time he wanted to show off. Although maybe, yeah. wait, did he get new hydraulics installed? That seems like a bigger hole than the last time he did this. He's been working out, yeah. Mikey. He's been working out. He has been pumping iron. And by pumping <laughs> iron, I mean moving his iron legs. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> so this week's episode was Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm-hmm. For everybody listening up at the basement door, how about we give them a plot summary, Mikey? Let's do it. All right. The year is 1492, and Vlad Dracula has been victorious in his fight against the Ottoman Empire. However, his enemy sent a false report to his wife claiming that he has died, and in her grief, she commits suicide. Priest Anthony Hopkins tells Dracula that his wife's soul will go to hell for committing suicide, so even in death, they can't be reunited. Dracula has been betrayed by God, and so he desecrates the chapel and renounces God himself. This causes a giant cross that he stabs to bleed blood, which he drinks. Now he's a vampire. We then cut to the year 1897, where Jonathan Harker gets a new client, Count Dracula. The previous solicitor, Renfield, went insane after interacting with the Count, so now it's Jonathan's turn to help Dracula buy some property instead. I'm sure everything's going to be absolutely fine. Jonathan makes it to Dracula's castle. It's obviously spooky. Jonathan has an awkward dinner with the Count, and the Count notices a picture of Jonathan's fiancée, Mina, who looks exactly like Dracula's late wife. Believing Mina to be the reincarnation of his wife, Dracula traps Jonathan for over a month in the castle, where he is drained of blood regularly by Dracula's sexy vampire brides. Meanwhile, the Count makes his way to London and hypnotically seduces Mina's BFF, Lucy, and feeds on her. As Lucy's health gets worse, her doctor, Quincy, summons his mentor, Dr. Van Helsing, as Lucy's condition seems not of this world. When Van Helsing arrives, he is none other than Anthony Hopkins, playing a second character, potentially, just a reincarnation. The movie will not tell us. Anyhow, Van Helsing is a weird guy, but he knows a vampire curse when he sees it, and boy howdy is Lucy ever cursed. Meanwhile, Dracula has transformed into his old self, a young and handsome man, and finds Mina on the streets of London. He charms her, and they meet several times. Mina begins to develop feelings for the Dracula. Further still, Mina seems to remember her old life as Dracula's bride in the past, recounting the suicide she committed in her former life, then being surprised at the fact that she has recounted this. While (laughs) Mina is falling for Dracula, Jonathan is somehow broken free of the vampire brides in the castle and escapes. A convent saves Jonathan and sends word to London. When Mina receives the news, she knows that she must go to Jonathan and get married for real. But it feels more out of duty than love, as her feelings for Dracula appear more real than her feelings for Jonathan. 
<laughs> In a heartbroken rage at losing Mina, Dracula fully transforms Lucy into a vampire. She appears dead, but then she rises from her grave. And only with the combined efforts of Van Helsing and the three guys who are in love with Lucy, including her fiancé Arthur, an American guy Morris, and drug-addicted Dr. Quincy, are they able to defeat the monster that Lucy has become. Jonathan and Mina return to London, and Jonathan now joins the group of dudes hunting the Dracula. They go to one of the properties Jonathan helped Dracula buy and smash up all the crates of soil that Dracula had. Using the destruction of his property as a distraction, Dracula kills Renfield and then flies to Mina. Dracula confesses to Mina that he has killed Lucy and has been the one terrorizing all of her friends. Mina wants to hate him, but can't. She loves him and fully remembers her life as Dracula's former wife, Elisabetta, which I am probably pronouncing wrong. No, I thought that was great. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Damn, dude, that was great. <laughs> Mina then asks to be transformed into a vampire, too, so they can share their lives together again. Dracula agrees and starts the process, but is then interrupted by the Dracula hunting squad. Dracula is wounded and escapes, being forced to go back to his castle in Transylvania. Mina is slowly changing into a vampire, and Van Helsing hypnotizes her and uses her link to Dracula to spy on the man's whereabouts. The vampire hunting squad pursues this Dracula and is always finding themselves one step behind. As Mina consents Dracula, he consents Mina. And he knows where they all are at all times and has been able to evade them by using Mina as a conduit. The hunters split up and the Dracula brides try to make Mina come to them and join their bride trio to make them into a bride quad. However, Van Helsing instead decapitates all of them. <laughs> Mina tries to feed on Van Helsing's blood, but he puts a communion wafer on her head. It staves off the transformation for a bit. However, as Dracula's carriage approaches, Mina chants to help him pass by the hunters into his castle. And a battle ensues between the vampire hunters and the vampire and his servants. American gun guy is stabbed in the fight and he dies. Dracula himself is mortally injured in the fight and finds himself dying. Mina rushes to protect him. And Jonathan, seeing from Mina's expression that she must follow through with this to the end, convinces the hunt squad to let them go. In the chapel, where Dracula originally renounced God, he finds himself dying while in his demonic form. Mina kisses him as a holy light streams into the chapel, and the busted-up cross from the beginning repairs itself. Dracula then reverts to his younger human-looking self and asks Mina to give him peace. Mina does just that by stabbing him all the way through with the sword, and he finally dies, for real this time. She then cuts off his head to make extra, extra sure. We then get a shot of the painted fresco above them in the chapel, with Vlad and his wife, Elisabetta, ascending into heaven, reunited at last. Uh, wait a minute. Isn't Mina the reincarnation of Elisabetta? Isn't her soul still on Earth and not in heaven? Who cares? This movie is not about how reincarnation works. We are left with an abrupt but poetic ending. And baby, that's Dracula 1992. It's Dracula 1992. Damn, dude. What a movie. <laughs> Sure is. Roxy, would you say this is a stage play with movie accoutrements or a movie with theater level acting? Uh, a little of each, I'd say. Yeah. The way that they shot this and doing all practical effects and like no CGI and doing it all on a sound stage definitely yes. gives it like this theater old timey film feel. Mm -hmm while being a movie that is made in 1992. Specifically, every shot in this movie is done in camera, like to the point where they're like projecting 
scenes on the back of walls for actors to act in front of. Like it's yeah, like miniatures, madness. forced perspective, all this kind of yeah. like cool old style tricks, which uh, I think was it the set designer, uh, but the the director Francis Ford Coppola like hired his son who is a magician to help <laughs> with the sets and everything. And it was it turns out not like just a nepotism thing. He is like good at this, and right. it was his first time doing it. And they were able to use a lot of tricks of the eye and stuff to yeah, make very cool engrossing like real grounded yet also feeling kind of unreal scenes yeah this whole movie like i i actually lean closer to like this feels like a stage play that is using the elements of movie making in a like to buttress the type of story it's telling like it's Mm. doing a lot of things you can only do in movies right there's a lot of homeboy is keanu reeves is like taking the trip over to transylvania and then we're like watching the like dotted line on a map <laughs> or like mm-hmm. we see yep. we see his uh physical journal over it but for the most part all of these moments are so big and everybody's acting so big and it's about these grand concepts of true love in the face of death it's wild the movie's wild Apparently, it's, like, very true to the original telling of the story. Like, I have not read the original Dracula, but... No, how could you? I don't know if all of it or most of it is told through journal entries, and they try to even integrate that into, like, when you see them on screen, mm-hmm. either physically or you're hearing it in the narration, usually between Keanu Reeves or uh, Anthony Hopkins characters, like, narrating. Right. Well, that was the weird thing to me. Like halfway through this movie, Anthony Hopkins shows back up and yep. also has a journal. Yeah, <laughs> He's like also what's going journaling. on? <laughs> They're journaling together. Maybe it's a shared journal that they pass it off between the two of them. So this movie does a lot of reincarnation stuff. And uh, I think there was a moment in this movie where I had like a come to Jesus moment where I was like, I am not going to track this story. This is going to be just events. And I have to just learn to oh, like really? these events. And I, okay. I got there. God bless it. When, when yeah, did that, it, can I ask when that like started for you where you were like, well, what, this is the movie, I guess. I think or, it was earlier than this, but when Anthony Hopkins showed up again as Van Helsing, I was like, they're not going to take the time for this. Like, they yeah. were, I think by that point they were already talking about like uh, Winona Ryder kind of remembers her past life as yeah. Vlad's wife. It, it feels so intentional. It's like, yeah, is he supposed to be the priest character reincarnated Mm-hmm. Or is he also like him? He's cursed like him or something. So he's been alive this whole time. Mm-hmm. Or is it just like it's a stage play thing? And like sometimes when you're on the stage, you don't have enough actors. So people have to double right. up. And then Anthony Hopkins, of all people, is doubling up. I do not know. They could have used any actor for that opening scene. Anybody. Yeah, and it, absolutely. So it feels very purposeful that like he's here twice for some reason. I'll, I'll tell you, listen, my brain does this stupid storytelling thing anyway. I was like, oh, Dracula achieved immortality through an unnatural way by stabbing a cross and drinking its blood and denouncing God. Anthony Hopkins' character in that scene achieved immortality in the natural way in that he passed down his knowledge child by child by child. Oh, okay. And so our Anthony, our Van Helsing, like, knows everything that's going on, but only because his family's been involved in the vampire myth making for this entire time. Okay, that makes way more sense and I don't understand why that wasn't one of the options I came up with for why is he here? <laughs> like yeah, no, it just makes it he just looks like his ancestor. It's one of those things where like they will have a character <laughs> play both their ancestor and the current day version of them. 
<laughs> what I think you thought I was going to say was that uh, Dracula achieved it in the immoral way and Anthony Hopkins achieved it in the natural way by finding a fountain to drink from. That makes so you you don't... <laughs> I mean, it's the natural way, right? He ate, he ate a glowing green apple and uh, praised Jesus and was granted the ability to not be killed. Yeah. How do you feel about the fact that it's kind of just like the reverse... It was desecrating the church, so was it Satan that allowed him to turn into a vampire? That cross is just like, this guy is really angry, I'll just bleed, and then it's a, he becomes an immortal vampire forever. Because it, <laughs> because why? It reminds me of, um, did you watch Marvel's Moon Knight? Um, I watched like three episodes of it. It's one of my favorite Marvel things, but that's kind of how they play... Um, the Egyptian god who looks like a, a plague doctor. Uh-huh. He comes to people when they're at their weakest mm. and says, like, do you want to come be my moon knight? And Oscar Isaacs was like, yeah, I do. I'm very <laughs> upset right now. <laughs> I felt like that was the kind of uh, vibe that they got when they were um, catching Dracula at a, at a low point. Yeah, I think that's also kind of the point where I was just like, yeah, stuff's going to happen. I, I think I was still <laughs> tracking it, but it was more like, you kind of can't break down the specifics. It's just going to do whatever it wants. He's just mad and he stabs across and blood comes out and he drinks that. And that's how you become a vampire. That doesn't make sense. That's fine. Just sit back and enjoy whatever is happening it, in front of you. It kind of rules. Yeah. It kind of, like, uh-huh. it feels like really old school filmmaking. Like, there's mm-hmm. something about. It's just like storytelling uh, ideas, too. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't matter that it's like a bizarre coincidence that, like, the doctor who is trying to date Lucy is also treating Tom Waits's vampire liege. <laughs> this little vampire yeah, and underservant. also was like Van Helsing's protege or like Van Helsing was his mentor. Right, yeah. Also, he's like all three of those things. I always think about like Citizen Kane, which is one of my favorite movies of all time, but like it opens with a plot hole. It's like nobody hears him say Rosebud and then the whole movie oh. is everybody trying to figure out what, what? why he said Rosebud. Wait, yeah, really? there's like nobody in the room. <laughs> it's just like, and it's just one of these things where like, I don't know, I feel like older movies like this, and that's what almost harkens back to the simpler style of storytelling. They're just like, who gives a shit? Like, it's just, it's a coincidence and we're just moving on. We're just moving on because it's, there's so much more going on here. Mm-hmm. Like, I almost, if this movie was shot like, I don't know, Fleischman is in trouble on FX. <laughs> if it was just like a normal show that's like shot well and looked fine, I'd be like, no, no, no. We have to take the time to figure out what we're exactly saying about reincarnation. But the fact that it looks like a Catholic mass mm-hmm. <laughs> is like so gorgeous and uh, otherworldly that I'm just like, yeah, you guys take your time. Whatever you need to do. Talk about reincarnation. I don't give a shit. Yeah, it feels kind of like it's more about the emotions or feelings or just kind of like... Yes. I don't know, the the vibe of the scene setting, whatever kind of like emotion you're trying to get across is more important mm-hmm. than specifics from scene to scene. I think I read somewhere that Francis Ford Coppola wanted at least certain parts of this movie to just feel like an erotic dream. They do, like a and lot he, of them. Dude, planted it. Like this is an erotic <laughs> dream. Truly. Uh, I think the best place that is also shown is when the wives of Dracula just <laughs> snag Keanu Reeves and are like, okay, you're hanging out with us for a month and we're going to um, drink your blood and maybe have sex with you or just kind of like sigh and rub on you is what it seems like they're doing. Who knows? 
They call it like an infidelity or something later. Yes. <laughs> later on, Van, Van Helsing will say like, when you committed your infidelity. And he was- like this movie is very clearly about the perception of sex at this time in the world. Like, mm-hmm. note perfectly. Like, they, they are just casual about it with the guy. He has sex with three vampire brides the entire time he's away. Good old Keanu Reeves. And they're just like, about the infidelity. Did you get a sex disease from it? And he says, no, no, no. And they're like, oh, thank God. And even Winona Ryder's like, oh, thank God. Uh-huh. Oh, I knew I knew you would be true to me. <laughs> I'm not getting a sex disease. <laughs> the thing that's so funny about it, too, like you kind of get they get one scene in the opening where it's establishing, oh, they're in love. And then he leaves and they don't interact for a really long time. And mm-hmm. the, the relationship between her and Dracula, like, I felt like I was rooting for them at the end, even though he was killing oh, people. Yeah. I was like, yeah, Me I too. just want them to Me get too. together. Like, Jonathan is not who you loved. Like, don't marry him out mm-hmm. of pity. That's not fair to him either, girl. Just go with Dracula. That's what you want. Well, we get a very clear, like, I, I kind of like, <laughs> I, and I read an interview with Francis Ford Coppola about this movie. He was like, we got Keanu Reeves. Because we wanted just like a marquee name. We wanted like yeah, a, he a, was a star power, a yeah. famous actor at the time. Because that part kind of sucks. <laughs> like, yeah, there's not and a like, lot to do. He he was lampoon. Like everybody will say, like, I love that movie except for Keanu Reeves. Because yep. his his accent is so bad, but it, seeing it now, like not in the time it came out, I'm like, this is fun. It's, it's just Keanu Reeves right. doing a bad accent. But like, it does take you out of the movie because it makes you think this is Keanu Reeves doing a bad accent. But Mikey, when I tell you in his letter, when he says, I'm going to Budapest, and then I went to Budapest, <laughs> he says Budapest two times, very strangely, like back to back. I rewound it like three times because it was so <laughs> I can't believe I didn't clip it to send it to you. That seems like the thing I would do. I was just like losing my mind laughing over Bude Pissed. He does say it like Jan Brady says uh, her boyfriend in a very Brady sequel. is like, I'm going to see Judd, my boyfriend, uh-huh. in Bude Pissed. Uh-huh. I, I feel like somehow, I, I, I think this is going to track, Keanu Reeves' accent is approached in the same way that the overall story is in that it's like, it's insane and wrong, but right? Like, because I I would argue that the Keanu Reeves role, the reason it is such a bad part is because it doesn't, like, he is literally a stand-in for the safe choice. And therefore he is doing nothing but being this, like, cardboard cutout of the ideal man. Like, he's not a human being. And that's sort of the point of that story. Yeah, he's also kind of just removed from so much of the story, too. He, like, Mm -hmm. sets things up in the beginning, and then he, like, disappears. And then, yeah, when we need to cause drama between Mina and Dracula because they're getting along so well, oh, Keanu Reeves escaped, and he's in a Mm -hmm. convent, and he has a really bad, like, frosting on his hair to make him look old or something. Yeah, (laughs) he sure does. Which I'm not sure if that would have been better or worse than giving him a wig. Probably the better alternative, I would bet. Um, You can't cover up that man's hair, especially at this point in his career. It's so dark. Uh, But yeah, like, they don't really feel like they have any chemistry. She's kind of doing it out of duty. Mm -hmm. And at the end, it feels like, his character gets that too. He's like, yeah, I get it. I, I know her well enough to know that like I've lost her and she needs to do this. She needs to like, see this through. She needs to be the one who ends it, which I really like that. She is the one who does the final blow. And then even when she's Mm -hmm. sad about it, she remembers you have to decapitate the vampire. So it doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. So she does also decapitate him. (laughs) 
it, it um it, it is very much my favorite part of the entire movie when Winona Ryder is like aiming the gun at Keanu Reeves, like trying yeah. to get away with Dracula, and she's like, "Would you do this for me when my time comes?" Yes. And he's like, "No, yeah. what are you talking about? It's awesome because." He has not experienced that passionate love that Dracula and Winona Ryder have. Yeah, exactly. And, and he, he like is he you're right, he is acknowledging it, but it almost feels like he's breaking it off. Yeah, because he he's gets saying, it. Like, he's like, Yeah, the, you don't feel as strongly about we're me, in I guess. Different it. worlds here. Yep, truly. <laughs> we, we, we are London. Unfortunately, uh, same page, different playbook. Yes, yeah. Me. And I think you could also kind of like during that scene, she's basically saying like would you kill me also? Like, are you going to kill me? Like your, oh, your choices here right. are to let me go or kill me, you know? And yeah. would, would you go this far to save me? No, you wouldn't. Are you going to kill me? No, you won't either. So you're just going to let me go. Right. <laughs> it's such an awesome bluff. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you could, you, if you want to stop Dracula that bad, maybe I'm here. Yeah. And it kind of gives his character, it makes it more shallow, but also gives it, makes me respect him more that he's able to like acknowledge that. It gives him even less to work with. And if he really loved her, but she didn't love him enough, like you'd still be more sad about that, I would think. But it's like, no, it's about her and Dracula right now. He gets that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep, just let him go. Uh, I have a question for you. I was I was trying to work through this uh, to see if there's like a little something like what the movie is really driving at in terms of okay. its opinion and whether it's casting judgment on... You know, this kind of passionate love, which I don't think it really is. I think it's pretty clear that the movie's like, yeah, have your passionate love that you cross the oceans of time for. Yeah. But the the really interesting dichotomy that I saw set up early on was that both Keanu Reeves and Dracula go off to battle and leave their loves behind. Right? Yeah. We open up with Dracula going to battle and he comes back and finds his wife dead. Mm. And then we see Keanu Reeves essentially go off to battle Dracula and and during that, especially that opening part, I was like, is he going to come back and find his wife dead too? Mm -hmm. And he did, but it's very much like, <laughs> it's almost like the mirror of what happened to Dracula. Like her body was gone, but her passion remained. And when Keanu Reeves came back, like his wife's body was still there, but her passion had been depleted by the fact that she was into Dracula now. Yeah, I think also it shows how Dracula learned from his experience to be like, I, I mean, he, he has that quote that is the luckiest man in the world is the one who knows true love. Like, mm. he's realized he, he went off to fight that war and was like, no, she was the most important thing. I should have, like, mm. never let her go, even if it was to do my duty to fight this war or whatever. Yeah. Uh, th this thing from God that I thought was telling me to go fight this war, whatever his <laughs> uh, setup was. But so... All of his crates are being smashed. His last vestige of trying to, I don't know, set down roots here or stay or anything. And he mm -hmm. chooses to instead go and be with Mina. When really the smarter thing would be like, you could kill these guys now so that you still have your dirt from your homeland or whatever that you need <laughs> to survive here. But he chooses to forego that and not confront them at all and say go to her. Mm -hmm. So he's like not making uh, that same mistake twice, I guess. Yeah, that that is true. And that is cool. Uh, but real quick, I do want to talk about something I kind of forgot until you just mentioned it now. Is it a traditional part of the 
Dracula mythos that he needs Transylvanian soil to go elsewhere. Yeah, that's like a huge thing. I, I assume Is actually it? it's got to be this movie that established it or this book. Hmm. Sorry, <laughs> established it. Yeah, it's in a lot of different vampire lore. Um, oh, without okay. having read this book, I feel like it's got to be from that. Either they need to sleep in it or they need it in order to cross like in the first place in order to travel outside of their home. Is that why home. they have the tombs? Yeah, I think that's kind of where that comes from, too, where it probably originated okay. from as well. Because you need to be like, he's encased in that box when he's traveling. So that's the thing that makes the most sense. It's human-shaped. Coffin is human-shaped for that. Hmm. Well, I just think that's very cool. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how this book kicked off, like, this entire subgenre of I do fiction of all types. TV shows, yeah. other books, video games, anything. I was actually disappointed in this movie when, I guess about a third of the way through the movie, they go, contrary to popular belief, vampires can go out in the day. Because I was like, no, I want to just like revel in the things that we know to be true about vampires. I feel like we have so much form breaking of vampire mythology when it's like, ha, you would raise a cross to me and then they attack anyway or whatever. Yeah. Like, they, he did react to a cross. Because our vampires are slightly different. Garlic did hurt them. Like, mm -hmm. Let's just play in the rules. Like, why couldn't that Prince scene have been at night? Let's just keep playing in the vampire rules. Yeah. I don't know. I think because it established so many things, too, that, like, Anthony Hopkins saying that, like, there is no popular belief yet. You're literally making right. it up right now. <laughs> so that's just for the movie's benefit. I'm sure the original book didn't say anything like that. <laughs> yeah, the original book probably didn't even talk about it. Mm -hmm. Roxy, I want to debut a new segment on oh? the show. Really? Okay. Surprise it's to me. What's up? A little something I like to call Campbell's Corner. Okay. Where we go through the story circle of one Joseph Campbell to determine who is officially the main character of this movie. Oh. Because I was surprised. Okay. Who would you say is the hero of this movie? Um, I mean, the hero would be Mina. Mina is the hero. Yep. But Vlad is probably the main character. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I did write Mina as the hero because she's the character who changes the most. Yeah, she we feels like up. she goes through an arc. It's more about her perceptions and feelings and everything mm -hmm. and then her getting in the final hit at the end also. Right. Her, um, I, I love this opening moment, which in uh, Joseph Campbell terms, the zone of comfort, when she's hanging out with Lucy and she's looking at little uh, drawn pictures of <laughs> pornography and she's <laughs> like, karma sutra. <laughs> But I'm not like this. And then by the end of the movie, we find she has come full circle, that she is so passionate that she will slice off the head and abandon her former lover for just a sweet taste of that Dracula baby. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, she's ready to, to become go undead. She's like, yeah. Because he even, right. like, Dracula's making out with her, and she's like, make me like you. And for a minute, he's like... Yes, I really want you to live the rest of your life with me forever. And he's like, wait, no, but I'm a monster. Then I turn you into a monster. And I like you too much to do that to you. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, shut up. Just do it anyway. <laughs> and he's like, okay. <laughs> it's actually very sweet. Yeah it's, yeah, it's very cute. It's like definitely the thing that sealed the deal to be like, I just want them to make it. I don't care if he murders people mm -hmm. at this point. <laughs> right. Uh, but to establish like very early on that like she to to take that character from like 
being so afraid of passion that she like lies to her best friend about how she wasn't meaning to read <laughs> the Karma sexy Sutra. Arabian Nights book. Yeah. Oh wait, that's right. No, sorry, it wasn't Karma Sutra. It was Arabian Nights, but Arabian yeah. Nights. Yeah. Uh, and and to get her to that endpoint, like it's just a, a a true masterclass of the hero's journey, right? She wants to be wed. That's her character's want, and halfway through the movie, she gets it, but realizes what she truly wants all along: wants the love of her vampire boy. She's yeah. Meeting and interacting with and slowly recalling her past life. That's a cool little element. Yeah. But she even pays a heavy cost in losing her friend Lucy, which happens right after she's married. Yes. And then ultimately she loses Dracula himself as well at the end. So mm-hmm. by she, her own hand. Yes. I mean, like the, the boys in the courtyard stabbed him to shit beforehand. So it's kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, she is then able to like. Give him a death where it's just her and him together, I suppose. So at least she can yeah. be like the last thing he sees. Um, and he gets saved, I guess. Uh, we have like, she kisses him. Holy light comes down. And like when she kisses mm-hmm. him, he's in his like monstery form. She, mm-hmm. after she kisses him, light, holy light from God presumably comes down and turns him into like his handsome younger human self. Yeah. Sexy form. Yeah, and then and then he dies for real. So mm-hmm. it seems as though God is blessing him and being like, "Yes, you can go to heaven now." Especially with the iconography up at the top. So I guess it's kind of like I I don't know what are we supposed to take away from that that God <laughs> forgave him that he repented, which I don't think he did. Well, there there know. is something interesting about this idea that like God betrayed Dracula by repaying his sacrifice of going off to war by letting this happen to his wife. Yeah. Letting her kill herself. And, and then God's just, God's just like a, a pencil pure pushing bureaucrat. He's like, sorry, the rules say you kill yourself, you go to hell. Yeah, you don't get to, to be with your loved ones in heaven. I'm sorry, but that's the rules. And by the end of it, it's almost like, you know, what if God is the hero of this movie? <laughs> well, it could also, an arc? <laughs> so it could also be saying like, that's man's interpretation. Whereas like God, Probably mm. didn't care about that, especially with the iconography being like they're being reunited. So that also make that almost makes me think humans made up the rule about the suicide thing. God actually doesn't mm. care. He's just going to reunite them because uh, he can, I guess, or because that was never something in place in the first place. I could see that. I, I do like the idea of God being so charmed by their relationship <laughs> that like when she does it at the end, he's just like, you guys can come up. I, I was a little strict. I'm sorry. <laughs> He won. He won them over. He was. He was watching. He the won movie. them over, and they won him over. Yeah, which is truly <laughs> maybe the most powerful people on earth. Then, if you're able to do that, <laughs> convince him to give you. Convince God to give you a gimme. That's that doesn't happen every day. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about the movie? Oh, one thing I did want to say: the costume design in this movie is insane, mm. and is specifically yeah. the costume designer is a uh, Eiko Ishioka. Mm-hmm. Uh, who also did designs for The Cell, The Fall, and a bunch of other things. Uh, I know this person's aesthetic. <laughs> it's absolutely wild, like crazy, very distinct shapes, a lot of like sharp colors. Uh, she deals with a lot of like patterns and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Dracula's armor in the beginning is incredibly unique. It's this wolf-like armor that is all red. And has, like, just this texture of lines over it. It looks like musculature. Yes, yeah, it kind of looks like musculature. It made me It made me think of, like, uh, the first Spider-Man suit. <laughs> At the exact right texture. 
No, this movie looks incredible. I believe the costume designer won the Oscar for best costume design for this movie. Oh, I would not be surprised if she did. Yeah. Because uh, that's rad. She's like in her 70s was- now. I don't know if she's still still doing work, but I hope she is. Because <sighs> damn, dude. I will say I 100% well I don't know 100% I 98% agree with you that these costumes are incredible but there is one scene where Anthony Hopkins rolls in I think it's when he's first being introduced again and his costume is just a normal suit with like a strip of fabric around him that's almost a cape and it just looks like shit (laughs) I don't remember this it was almost it was the exception that proved the rule it was like I was like that like got me to notice the costumes in the movie, and then I was like, "Oh, these have been so awesome! I've been just like reveling in them." But now, like having this one example of how much it sucks makes me realize how great these other costumes have been. Damn, I didn't even realize that. That makes me want to go back and look at it because also just cool. Anthony Hopkins' character, the way he plays Van Helsing was not what I was expecting. He's like a quirky, <laughs> weird old man that just like does weird things and. But it has, like, refined Anthony Hopkins voice. And apparently this was, like, maybe the first movie he did after Silence of the Lambs. Oh. Also, or at least, like, you know, recently enough, it's around that same time period. Mm-hmm. But it is post-Silence of the Lambs, which is just, like... <laughs> it's giving, giving a very funny performance that uh, I like a lot. <laughs> it's, it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And speaking of how much we enjoyed it, Roxy, on a scale of one to five thumbs... Which, remember, we can go over two thumbs because we have a giant box of severed hands here. How many thumbs would you rate Bram Stoker's Dracula? So I gave it a 3.5, almost a 4, just because I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. It's well made, well shot, way more tragically, like, romantic than I thought it would be. I didn't think we were going to get a love story that I was going to be, like, rooting for the two characters I was (laughs) at the end. Uh, The music is really good. We didn't even really talk about that, but, like, the love theme is very distinct. Mm. Um, and yeah, the costume design is really neat as well. So I liked it a lot. What about you, Mikey? I gave it the exact same score, 3.5 thumbs up. Oh, look at that. So that's two me thumbs, one extra thumb, and we'll just slice this thumb in half. Oh, Mikey, I was going to give you the other half to my half, but... It's too late for that, Roxy. Now I got a bunch of halves. That's fine. We'll <laughs> use them later. But uh, I feel the almost exact same way. Like, it's a, an incredible movie. It's well shot. It looks great. It has an identity. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You could look. I feel like you could, for the most part, look at any frame of this movie and be like, oh, yeah, that's obviously Francis Ford Coppola's Brad Stroker's Dracula. Um, but ultimately, I'm a story guy. I do crave a coherent story. So <laughs> I, I'm not, I can't give it. And also, it's like, this is not necessarily what I look for in movies. Like, I want that big, beautiful story. But like, this is like a perfectly made version of the kind of movie I generally don't like. Mm. Uh, although I, I did very much enjoy this. So it's ultimately uh, not quite for me, but pretty much for me. <laughs> well, good. It's, it's the best movie that's not for me I've ever seen. Hey, I mean, that's pretty high praise. That's something. So Mikey, do you have a question for me? Boy, do I. Roxy, this movie deals with reincarnation a lot. Winona Ryder gets reincarnated. Anthony Hopkins maybe gets reincarnated. It's assumed that Dracula will be reincarnated. Mm-hmm. Because he's not synced up with Winona Ryder. Uh-huh. If, if there was such thing as reincarnation, what would you hope to be reincarnated as? So I thought it would be very fun to be reincarnated as a uh, pampered house cat that has outdoor privileges. <laughs> 
Because since you're a cat, people are not like, you know, people pet cats and stuff, but it's not the same way that they treat dogs where like they'll kind of be like, yeah, they're a cat. I'll give them space, you know, to an extent. Mm -hmm. So you you have a little bit more with your boundaries there. Uh, Cats just always look so comfortable when they're sleeping. Like how I don't even understand how any creature could be that comfortable. But cats make it look like it's it's possible. Mm -hmm. And then also just if you get to go outside and have cat adventures, climb around, you got your claws, you can like climb on stuff. I think that's an important distinction because when you were, when it was like just a cat, like you get house sick pretty quick. You're just stuck in there. The fact that you can go out and have adventures and like see all that there is to see in the world. That's beautiful. Yeah. Humans are picking up your shit. They're feeding you. You don't have to do any of that. Like, (laughs) Sounds good. It sounds what you're describing is good. Pretty charmed. All right. What about you? Roxy, I said, have you ever heard of the cocaine bear? Um, just in terms of that title and people being like, ha ha ha, that's going to be like a meme movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a real bear. I guess so. But It's a real thing that happened. Oh, and wait. I want to I be it. Wait, okay, so Cocaine Bear the movie is based on real Cocaine Bear? Yeah, it was a bear that ate cocaine. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, that just sounds like some dumb thing somebody made up, but it's real. It's real, yeah. They lost a bunch of cocaine and it was in the uh, the woods. And a bear ate it, and it died pretty quick. I think that's kind of what I want. Like, so I always think that, like... You're going to die? You're going to be a bear that gets high on cocaine and dies? Is that, yeah. is that what we're talking about? Okay. Because I want to see what it's like to experience unbridled power. I mean, yeah, I can't think of anything that would be more powerful, except maybe a lion on cocaine, I guess. But one of those doesn't but exist. Cocaine bear's real. People keep cocaine away from lions. <laughs> they don't keep it away from bears enough. <laughs> Apparently. Uh but I also kind of like the idea of if reincarnation is real, like, I want to just have a bunch of really short lives. Like, I want to okay. be a cocaine bear and die. I want to be a hummingbird and die. I want to be one of those bumblebees that stings you and dies. Like, I want to just try it all out, you know? I want a buffet of reincarnation lives. That sounds fun. Because it feels right. like to be all different kinds of creatures. How long do hummingbirds live? I just assume it's not long. Not, not <laughs> very long, like I would think. they're very busy. Yeah. <laughs> So, Mikey, we made a bet last week. Yes. Bet was, how many times is the word blood said in the movie? So, Mikey, you said... I said 15 times. And I said 12. The answer... 12. Is... Is 34. 34 goddamn times (laughs) the word blood is said in this movie. Just keep saying it. They just keep saying it. They really do. We undershot so much. So, Mikey, Mm -hmm. by default, with the higher number, you are the winner. I did it. That means our total bet score right now is Roxy with 36, Mikey with 28, Ty with 4. All right. Incredible. Um, And just so that we can uh, tie up this loose end, Hummingbird's life, three to five years. Oh, okay. Well, a little too long for me, honestly. I mean, you could maybe run into a wood chipper or something. That was your previous plan to die as a human once. Roxy, do you go to a buffet and just fill your plate with spaghetti and sit there the whole time eating a spaghetti plate? No. Of course not. Tiny bit of spaghetti. Eat it as fast as you can. Go up. Get some shrimp. Get some soft serve ice cream. Keep it moving. What What about what cocaine hummingbird, Mikey? You could try it. You could be the first one. <laughs> you could try it. That a cocaine hummingbird like becomes the flash and that it vibrates so fast that it like starts passing through time and space. I was gonna say, what you might actually get some secret powers or something. You'll see things no one has ever seen before. 
That is the only correct heightening of Cocaine Bear. Like, you do Cocaine Bear, and he's big, and he's attacking people. And then the sequel, you do Hummingbird, Cocaine Hummingbird. And he goes so fast, he accidentally assassinates President Kennedy. <laughs> like, he goes back in time and drives through him. <laughs> and and keeps then comes going. back keeps going. to 2023 when he was born and took cocaine. <laughs> Speaking of cocaine, here's Demon Bot, who looks like he could maybe do with some. I'm just a bit tired. Smashing through a wall is more exhausting than it looks, and I could use a little pick-me-up. Anyway, you have successfully reviewed the film Bram Stoker's Dracula. Your souls are safe for another week. For next week, you must review the 1997 anime Perfect Blue. Well, Roxy, I knew it couldn't be avoided forever. We have an anime movie on the docket. We do. It's our first one, Perfect Blue by Satoshi Kong. I promise you, uh, it's not like any other anime you've seen. Okay. Also, I have not seen this since high school, so see how I feel oh, about exciting. it. Oh, exciting. High school, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for next week, Mikey, we are going to be covering Perfect Blue from 1997. So how about we come mm -hmm. up with a bet for said movie? I think that's the move. What do you think? Okay, uh, I do know that this movie is about pop idols. Yeah, a little bit. How many times do you think the word pop will be said in the film Perfect Blue? Oh, gosh. Um... I, I undershot so much for blood that I'm going to go real big for pop. I'm going to say 25. What about you, Mikey? Okay. You know what? 15 is my lucky number. I said 15 last time for bloods. I'm going to take 15 for pops. I'll All say right. 15 total pops. Well, let's do it. We'll see who wins. All right, Mikey. We've been talking about a lot of tragic love story things, a lot of decapitating <laughs> vampire things. Uh, so let's talk about what's making us happy this week. So, Mikey, what went on in your life this week that made you happy? I had a very nice moment with a cat named George. <gasps> this sounds delightful. I love it already. <laughs> what happened with George? So my my girlfriend's cat is named George, and he's always been a little fussy. He's kind of mean. He's a little standoffish. He's mm -hmm. the kind of cat who, like, you pet him a little bit, and he'll he'll bite at you or paw at you, and you kind of just got to know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I was at my girlfriend's house. I was already having a bad day. Oh, no. And then my uh, me and my girlfriend, we were sitting on the couch together, and the cat came and curled up kind of next to us, and I was petting him, and I thought it was, like, a nice pet that he was enjoying. Nope, he bit the shit out of me. <laughs> And it not only hurt, it hurt my feelings. Oh. I was like, all right, this cat just doesn't like me and there's nothing I can do about it. And so I ended up having like a really sad day. You know, the Minnesota Vikings were just trounced by the Green Bay Pack mm. Packers. It was mm -hmm. New Year's Day, which is always kind of a sad day. It's <laughs> just like, oh, I guess I got to start working out again. <laughs> so I was just feeling down. I was just like laying on the couch. And then George realized what he had done and he hopped up on my chest oh. for like the first time ever. And he did his little kneading and he purred and it's just like he knew I was sad and he wanted to help. That's so cute. He knew. It was very nice. It was very nice. Animals so wise. That's adorable. Yeah. It was cute. Roxy, what's making you happy? What's making me happy is New Year's cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> what's the thing you feel like doing right before going back to work? That's right. Spending some of your last free days cleaning. Uh, I am 
being sarcastic, but also I mean it for real because, man, <laughs> if my workspace is not like clean and tidy, it drives me insane and I cannot focus. I'm one of those people. I hear that. Um, I hear so that. in particular, too, just like, you know, before the holidays, going out traveling and sometimes you let things slip that you don't even really realize. Mm-hmm. I share a house with roommates. They don't participate as much cleaning the common areas, which drives me insane. And normally it's like, <sighs> we will get into this sort of stalemate where it's like, well, I'm not going <laughs> to clean it because then they're not going to clean it next time. And then I'm going to have to clean it every time. But you know what? I have to live in this house too. So I'm just going to clean it because I want it clean. So fucking whatever. <laughs> it's New Year's cleaning. Doing it. House is super clean. It feels very nice. Absolutely love it. Would recommend people do it as well and i should do it more often honestly like, i don't I know Roxy, i'm long. pretty attached to the filth i live in i know i mean it's hard to say goodbye when you've been living with it for so long <laughs> especially when it's like gained sentience and can speak to you you know it can yeah. kind of debate to be like no mikey don't sweep me away i live here too now i swear i'll pay rent and then you put it in the garbage can and pretend you it's can't gotta go. hear it throw it in the trash all right, it's now time for Haunted Plugs. First of all, make sure to follow Scary Basement on Twitter, at Scary underscore Basement, and on Instagram, at Scary Basement Pod. And Mikey, where can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter, at Secret Blimp, and on Twitch, at twitch.tv slash Secret Blimp. I am also on Twitter, at Red Mage Roxy, and on Twitch as at Red Mage Roxy as well, where I stream three days a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Also, make sure to give us five stars and make sure those are scary stars on iTunes or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And leave us a review. You know that helps us out. One other way you can help us out is by checking out the Patreon for our podcast network, Super NPC. Go sign up at patreon.com slash super NPC radio and you can get bonus episodes of Scary Basement covering horror video games as well as the years and years of content from the rest of the video game loving kids over at Super NPC. Don't forget to share and scare this podcast with your friends. And as always, do not sign any contracts offered to you by Demon Robots. See you next week. Mm-hmm.